Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Morning. How are y'all? Good. Hey, what a privilege to be back. Uh, how many of you heard me the last time I was here? All right. So there's some new faces. And so this is the second time that I've had the privilege to preach here at Thrive Church. And, um, you know, one thing that's kind of funny about what Pastor Brian said, um, I was known, still am. <laughs> People see me in the, like in my hometown and they say, you're sex ed. Yeah. But uh, I've been married to the same woman for 45 years, and um, we're blessed to have three adult children that are serving God, and they have blessed me with seven grandchildren that uh, it's God's reward for not killing my kids, (laughs) as there were a few moments. But um, it's just been a real thrill to be here, but the one... One thing that is funny about that, I, start, I got sidetracked about being called sex ed. I always joke that uh, I'm sexy ed to my wife. <laughs> She's the only one that gets to call me that. If you call me that, I'm going to get real nervous. All right. But anyway, so, um, but it, it was a privilege. It was a door that God opened, and then that door closed, and um, I just kept doing, you know, doing whatever the Lord has for me to do. One of the great privileges I've had in the last 25 years um, is I travel around the world. I've been in 51 different nations training pastors. Um, and most of those churches, pastors I get to train are planning churches like Pastor Brian and Thrive Are, like I've done three times. And so it's, I'm uniquely equipped to help those pastors. And I know if I help a pastor, I've helped a whole group of people. Amen. And I could go do crusades and do all of those things. But what I would rather do is go train a pastor how to build a great church and build a great team of leaders around him. And if you know team is the way Jesus changed the world. Twelve disciples. You and I wouldn't be here if he hadn't trained 12 men to do their job. Right? And so that's where the, that's where the meat's at. Uh, I'm not Baptist, but I do preach, pray, and advertise. I got a book in my hand. Uh, back there on the table, it's real simple. There's a QR code um, that represents a Venmo account. If you have Venmo, it's just 10 bucks. But my wife wrote this book during COVID. And its title is The Party Is Here. The, these two guys are the only ones that know my wife. If my wife's not laughing, she's sick. Okay, she's just a, a bundle of joy. And, but she wrote this book, and the theme of this book is what did Jesus do on his worst day? And the reference, the scripture reference, is where uh, John the Baptist was beheaded, when his best friend got his head cut off. What did Jesus do? And the way she's written this book is this just a collection of stories with a spiritual point at the beginning about what would Jesus do and then going through the story she's telling and then what would Jesus do on his worst day at the end. And so uh, if you want to get one of these, uh, there's a cash bag back there. It's 10 bucks, uh, you know, Venmo, cash, honor system. If you don't have any money, take one. I'm, uh, generosity is what the kingdom's made of. But it, w- it does help us as a family and those kinds of things. A little bit of, of more history about what I'm going to say today is the, the men's event was amazing. Um, to God be the glory. I mean, I didn't bring that stuff in my suitcase, I guarantee you. you like Pastor Brian said, it was a sovereign move of the Lord and you can't manufacture that. So, but this morning... Um, the genesis of what I'm about to say this morning, as he alluded to, I've been in youth ministry, still am. I still, uh, I've got youth camps scheduled this summer, and uh, if you can't tell it, 
Uh, I'm an old fart. I, I'm 65 years old, guys. But for some reason, God allows me has, and he has equipped me to continue to speak to teenagers. And uh, I'll be doing, I've got a conference this spring and a couple of camps this summer. But it's, I, I don't know how that happens. But uh, I just keep walking through those doors. But I was praying through what Generations Church, that's the name of the church I pastor, what the message heading into 2024 was going to be. And I had the word plugged in. Plugged in to, plugged into family, plugged into the house, plugged into, and I had all these things listed in my journal that I was going to research and speak on. Well, the week between Christmas and New Year's, kind of a dead week, I started seeking the Lord, and, and he said, you need to speak on being plugged into the generations. Now, every church I know of is generational in the nature of their ministry. We dismiss kids for generational reasons. We've got youth groups going on. We have, some churches have senior adult ministries. We have men's groups. We have women's groups. So by nature, churches are generational. Nod your head at me if you agree. But we've got to get intentional, more intentional about reaching the young ones. Because the world that you and I are living in is very intentional about reaching them. To the point that there is immersion and indoctrination in things that are not biblical. And if we don't rise up and get plugged into what's going on in the generations, we're going to lose them. We're going to lose them to the world. The number one attack of Satan is on the family. I would never embarrass anyone in this room, but I guarantee you in this room, there's divorces and remarriages once, twice, three times, and the sufferers of that kind of stuff are children. I'm not trying to heap shame or condemnation on you. It's just a fact. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, my wife's parents got a divorce when she was 29 years old and I was 31 and she, her mother had written two books about marriage and she laid in bed nearly every night for three weeks curled up in a fetal position weeping thinking everything that my parents taught me was a sham and a fake she felt like the rug had just been ripped out from under her, so to speak. And she was an adult child. So I can't imagine what goes on in a teenager or a, a, high, a high school or a middle schooler when things like when the dissolution of the house happens. And that doesn't mean that they're unreachable. It doesn't mean you're not unredeemable. It means none of those things because we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Come on, somebody. It just means we've got to be more intentional about reaching that generation because they have hurts, wounds, and offenses. You don't have to say amen. I know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> but as we collectively get intentional, we, we say, okay, it's the youth pastor's job. Okay, it's the children's pastor's job. Okay, it's, it's the college pastor. It's, it's their job to do, no, 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 no. We have collectively be, have, must be intentional about this. So you see the slide on the screen. That was our theme. That's, the, that's what my church saw when I preached this message at my church recently. I want you to stand up with me in honor of God's word, and we're going to read a couple of scriptures, and then we're going to move into the message. I've laid the foundations. <clears throat> What I, the word the Lord gave me for being plugged in, it's Colossians 3, 2. Let's say it out loud, loudly together. You ready? One, two, three, read. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. 
Look at it from the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson translates it so well. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up, be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. In other words, get plugged in to what God is doing in heaven. It's a, a take, a different take on thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about what's going on in heaven. Be plugged into those things. And then this next verse, Psalm 145, 4, let's all read it aloud, loudly, and together as well. One, two, three, read. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. Father, we thank you for the word of God that it's sharp, quick, powerful, than any, more powerful than any two-edged sword. And Father, that it cuts asunder the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Father, I thank you for your presence that's in this place. Lord, I thank you that you're going to equip me, anoint me to speak your word with authority and clarity. I declare John 15, 5 over my life today that you're the vine, I'm the branch, and without you, I can do nothing, Lord. I need your help to communicate today. And Father, let your people hear your word, hear your word, not a man's word, hear your voice. Hear your nuggets, hear your truths that they can take home with them. And Lord, I'll be careful to give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for what you do today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. You can be seated. The theme of my life for over 40 years has been this. We must reach a generation at 12 before we have to rescue them at 21. It's been my mantra. I've probably said that to Pastor Brian more times than he can count. I've probably, he's probably heard me preach about it more times than he can count. Because it is my mantra. I don't want to have to rescue a 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 year old. I want to go in there and reach every one of those kids that are in children's church. Every one of these young boys that are right here are young ladies. I want to see them on fire for God. So that when they go to college, when they go to college like these guys. Or when, whether they go to secular university, Christian university. But whenever they leave home, they are not going to depart the faith. This is an old statistic. I don't know what the new statistics are, but I've looked for them and I can't find anybody else that's quoting them, but, but Ron Luce did the research on this about 25 years ago, and he said that if you took 100 church kids that were seniors in high school, 100 church-attending, Bible-believing high school seniors and you sent them off to college, only four of them would stay in church. That scares me. That makes me shake in my boots. Because we can pour into these boys, pour into these kids, and pour into them and pour into them, and if we don't do something more intentional, they are not going to stay there. Four of them, 96% of them leave the house of God. My worship leader at my church where I pastor today, she left her home and she left Lubbock, Texas and she went to Abilene, Texas which is uh, 150 miles away and she went to a Baptist college, not a, not a Bible school, it's just a Hardin-Simmons University, it's, it's sponsored by the Southern Baptist and she went there and she quit going to church. That's her testimony. I went to a Baptist college and dropped out of church. I don't know about you, but that makes me nervous. Now, thank God there was somebody that, that pulled her up short and said, listen, get your act together in the name of Jesus. And she did. But as I stand here today, we have got to make this not just Pastor Ed's mantra. If I can, if I can impose on you if, you, would, if you would not be offended by me doing this, 
You need to take a picture of that. You need to write it down. You need to put it on a post-it note. You need to put it somewhere where you can see it. You need to, you need to get this down into your, from your head down into your spirit and let it be something that drives, that motivates, that, <coughs> that moves you forward. No matter what the condition of your family is, whether you're married, divorced, whether you're single, whether you're a single parent, this has got to be our mantra. And if we'll do that, we can make a difference. I can't preach what I'm going to say to you because I don't have the allotted time that, that I have. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you the title of this message. I haven't given you the title yet. I've just told you where it came from. Here's the title of the message. How do we disciple a generation raised in Babylon? Now let's talk about Babylon. It was the end of the year and I just got through reading in my devotions, the book of Revelation. Okay? And in Revelation 17, 18, and 19, Babylon is talked about a lot. About how culturally, and how many of you know we're in a cultural war? between the church and the culture. And Babylon represents everything that is not God. It's a godless, idol-filled, perverted, sick, demonic culture. And we're not far off. Can I get an amen? amen? And we're called to reach these kids. Well, there's this man in the Bible by the name of Daniel. Daniel, they'll show you. There's a process I want to show you. Daniel was removed from his family. His parents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents, and his family were Israelites who lived in rebellion and God got so disgusted with them, he sent them into 70 years of captivity in Babylon. We know this story. If we've been in church very long, you know this story. Wave at me if you know the story. Daniel, though, when he got there, King Nebuchadnezzar, I I, I cannot read all of these scriptures to you. If you want to go read them, this is in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 16. But Daniel was literally, and they'll show this next slide, was removed from his family, his friends, his culture, he was moved from everything that removed from everything that was familiar to him and brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar said, "Go find me good-looking, knowledgeable men. They know they're good in every system of learning. They're good at algebra, geometry, calculus. They're good at math, uh, English. They're good at science. They're good writers. They're good at grammar. Who's good at grammar? <laughs> okay, I struggle with that. That's why I raised that." But here's the thing. Go get these guys and immerse them into our Babylonian culture. So not only did he get removed, you'll see there, he got retrained. If you go read that text, I don't have time to go show it to you. They retrained him. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar gave the command to immerse these four guys, these young men into a godless, idolatrous, sinful culture and retrain them for three years. Again, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But if your child is in public school, they are trying to immerse, indoctrinate your child into systems of learning that are not in the Bible. I've got a little 11-year-old, 6th grade granddaughter who loves to go with me different places, especially when we leave church and we have great conversations. And I said, what are you learning in school right now in science? See, I don't ask open-ended questions that they can answer with a yes or no. If you want to get something out of your kids, you've got to ask a question that requires a sentence response, parents. I wasn't intending on saying that, but parents, if you're wondering why your kids speak to you in monosyllables, it's because you're not asking the right questions. If they're, uh, 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 yeah, no, uh, uh. And you think they're just dumb. It's no, you're the one that's not asking the right question. 
So I specifically said two weeks ago, Bailey, what are you learning in science? Because I know that's where they're slipping this junk in. And I said, she said, well, Pop, we're, we're learning mindfulness. What in the world does mindfulness have to do with science? I said, what is that? She said, well, she threw her hands down like this. And she said, Pop, it's just meditation. I mean, where I live, we are the buckle of the Bible belt, folks. I can't imagine what's going on up here. Knowing what I know and what I see in the news. And I said, well, Bailey, have you told your mom about this? And my son? Her, and she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, what would your mom say? Well, my mom told me where meditates in the Bible and what biblical meditation is. And she told me just, you know, just if, if you're gonna if you're gonna have to meditate when you're in class, just take you and she helped her get some cards. Just meditate on scripture. But do you, do you hear where I'm going with this? They're trying to retrain your children about creation, about gender, about uh, equality, about what a real man, a real woman is, and, or, or even worse than this, you could wake up one day and you could, you could be a, a boy and all of a sudden you could say, they say it's okay if you feel like you're a man, if you're, you feel like you're a man, you're a man but you feel like you want to be a woman, you can go to the bathroom in the women's bathroom today. Or you can try out for the girls' swim team and we got a big uh, uh, a fracas about to come out with the Olympics. And that girl, she's not a girl, she's a man. She's 6'4 and weighs over 200 pounds. But they're trying to retrain your children and my grandchildren. I said I wasn't going to preach about this and here I go. Then, we're moving on because I got other stuff to say. Then... Not, they removed Daniel, they retrained Daniel and his friends, and then they renamed them. All this pronoun junk. Oh my gosh. Our kids are confused. Because the culture is indoctrinating and immersing them into this culture. And, and I'm going to help you. I'm not going to leave you here. And then here's the good part. The last thing that happened to Daniel, Daniel decided that he resolved, Daniel 1.8, he resolved, he decided, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food, the king's drink. I'm not going to worship their idols. I'm not going to live like them. I'm not going to do what they do. I'm going to continue. Scripture, you get, you move all, this is in Daniel 1.8, what I'm saying here. He resolved to not compromise, but you track all the way through the Bible. You go through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't going to bow. There was resolve. You move up. That's in Daniel chapter 6. You move all the way through Daniel chapter 10 and get, you get to Daniel 10. And these guys, Daniel has got so much favor living for God. He's, he's like the number two dude in the nation because he's got favor because he, God's blessing him for living for God in a godless culture. He's flourishing. And these enemies of his that don't like him, don't like the favor, they tricked the king into signing a law of the Medes and Persians, which is unchangeable, that anybody that prays to their God for this certain number of days is going to die. Knowing that Daniel, irregardless of what's going on, is going to go to his room, open the window, pray toward Jerusalem three times a day, and they know he's good. So they're trying to trap him. And Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king, is so disgusted that he allowed them. He is weeping. He's gnashing of teeth. He, I can't believe I did this. They throw Daniel into the lion's den. And not one hair on his head was touched. Because of resolve. The king runs to the lion's den, throws the rock off the 
hole that they threw him in, gets Daniel out of the hole, and then the king looks at the guys that made him sign, tricked him into signing the law of the Medes and Persians and, uh, about not praying, and he throws them into the lion's den and get this, and their families. Go read it. Go check me out. Thank God we don't get punishment like that these days. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for grace and mercy. But in the Old Testament, man, I mean, the ground even opened up and swallowed Korah and his family. Okay. So I've set you up. Fasten your seatbelt. Because now we're going to get practical. This is where we're at. Four keys, four things that I've discovered Four ways for you and I to be intentional about reaching a generation that's being raised in Babylon. Number one, discipleship starts at home. Doesn't start at the church. It doesn't start at your Christian school. It doesn't start at your charter school. I need every parent in this room, every grandparent, and the reason I'm saying grandparents, there are more grandparents raising their grandkids than ever has lived before. And listen to me. Parents, grandparents, stop prostituting your role as a leader to this generation, to the church, and to the school. It's not our job. It's not my job. It's not his job as a pastor. It's not my job. It's your job. Our job is to partner with you. Our job is to pull up beside you and say what your mom and dad just told you, amen, so be it. If they're not going to let you date Billy Bob because Billy Bob's not a Christian, you go, mama. I'm going to say amen to that. Don't come whining to me that my parents are mean. I'm going to say shut up and listen to your mom and dad. Discipleship starts in your house. You might want to write this down. I don't know. But if your Christianity doesn't work in your home, it doesn't work at all. You say, well, my Christianity works great in church. Well, obviously. I don't even call myself a Christian anymore because so many people are putting on the Christian name tag to get votes and get business and all that stuff. I've, I've sworn off calling myself a Christian. I'm a Christ follower because there's a total difference between naming myself a Christian and saying I'm a Christ follower. You can, you can live, you can be a Christian on Sunday and be a hellraiser on Monday through Saturday. But if you say I'm a Christ follower, that's a whole different ball of wax. People ask me, what's the difference between a Christian and a Christ follower? Well, a Christ follower follows the teachings of Jesus. Many Christians just wear a name tag on Sunday morning. And if your Christianity does not work Monday through Saturday, your Christianity your, doesn't work at all. Because I'm going to tell you, listen, I, I may never get invited back after saying what I'm about to say. I'm going to tell you what, your teenagers and all the teenagers you know have a BS meter that is super sensitive. <laughs> they know whether you're real or fake. And they know it in the first 10 seconds they meet you. I've worked with enough teenagers. They know whether you're genuine or whether you're fake. And if you're their parents, they really know Well, you can't smoke, drink, or cuss, or chew. Well, you do. I didn't get any amens. <laughs> I don't know if this slides in my PowerPoint, but there's some old problems. Drugs, alcohol, Premarital sex, rebellion. Those are all old problems and they're going to stay around. They're never going away. But in the home, how to, if discipleship starts at home, we've got to figure out how are we going to work with the new problems. 
You say, well, what are the new problems? LGBTQ+, gender, transgender, AI. Are you going to let your kids cheat on their essay by getting ChatGBT to write it for them? You can get on your cell phone right now, and Pastor Brian, you know what? I guarantee you in the next six months, he and I as pastors are going to start getting emails from services that are say, we want to save you time and money, and you can, for $19.95 a month, we'll write all your sermons for you to free you up to be a, a minister of the people. That's a new problem. It's called plagiarism. It's called lying. You didn't write that paper. I mean, you know, that's a new problem. And here's a problem that it's been around for a long time, but it's never been this bad. And that is suicide. How many of you in this room have been affected by either an adult or a young person taking their own life? Stand up. Come on, stand up. I want to see you. Thank you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I, my little brother committed suicide in 1989. I told the men all about it. You can sit down. That's a new problem. If we had asked that question 10 years ago, less than half of you would have stood up because it just wasn't that big a deal. So if our discipleship starts at home, we've got to deal with not only the old problems, drugs, alcohol, sex, and rebellion, We've got to develop skills and talents and knowledge how to help our young people deal with the new problems. And I'm going to help you with that in a few minutes. So hang with me. Malachi is up on the screen, and this is my life verse for working with young people. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, and before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord... And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Did you know that these are the last two verses of the Old Testament? How many of you have ever heard in your lifetime that final words are important? God made sure that these last, and they involve your young people. They involve the generations. They've got, we've got to, he, he put that in the Old Testament hundreds of years ago so that we would always have it on record. The generations are important and so are fathers. And I, don't get me started on preaching about fathers. I talked to the men at the men's retreat this weekend about passivity and passivity being original sin, not even the fruit. Adam's passivity to tell her, put that fruit down. So I, I won't go there. But number two, everybody say number two. number two. Practice humility. These are keys to be intentional about reaching a generation at 12 before we have to rescue them at 21. These are intentional keys about how we disciple a generation raised in Babylon. Practice humility and learn from who they are. Oops, I lost my place. There we are. First Peter 5, 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Don't get nervous, young people, because then it talks to all of us. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. How many of you know humility is a big deal with God? Scripture says right here, the next verse says, God resists the proud. Well, guess what? So does everybody else. <laughs> Nobody likes pride and ego. Am I right? It's a, immediately, hands linked. Keep me at arm's length if you're going to be full of pride and ego. Well, guess what happens, mom and dad? When you're on an ego trip as a parent, bless God, I'm your parent, do what I say. I get it, there's a time for that. But the majority of the time, we need to, we need to be humble enough Listen to this. Listen closely to what I'm about to say. We need to be humble enough to admit when we're wrong. 
I've always been a strong disciplinarian. I believed in spanking. I believed in uh, disciplining my children, all three of them, and um, just didn't, wasn't going to back up, wasn't going to bow down to the culture. I, I believed in it, but I, confession's good for the soul, but it's really bad for the reputation. <laughs> I, I've disciplined my kids in anger before. I disciplined them in the wrong spirit. And I would, I would get finished disciplining them and I would walk out of the room and, and get, get done with whatever. They would leave my room because I always did the discipline in private. And uh, so I did do that right because I didn't want to embarrass them in front of their siblings or their mother. But I would discipline them in anger, not in the right spirit. The Holy Spirit would convict me and I would go into their bedroom or wherever they were and I would say, hey, Lance, I apologize, man. I, I was in the wrong spirit. I was angry. I said rude things. I said things the wrong way. And he, he would get this big smile on his face. And he would go, well, am I still grounded? Yes, you're still grounded, but I'm sorry. <laughs> you did the wrong, wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way with the wrong people, and you're going to suffer for it. But what I'm apologizing for is my methodology. It was wrong. So that takes what? Humility. What about, what about before you were a Christian? What about things that you, what, what about, and, and again, I've, I've spoken to over six million kids in public school. I'm not bragging, trying to impress you. It's just a fact. I've been all over the world talking to students about living a sexually pure life. And I've been asked this question by parents because most of the schools would have me do parent meetings. If you're going to talk to my kid about sex, which I never talked about the physiology or the biology of sex, I was just telling him, don't have sex until you're married. It will protect you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. That was my take. I wasn't doing the birds and the bees talk. That's your job. But parents would want to know, what are you going to say to my kids? And I was asked, well, what do, I, what, 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 uh, what do I say to my kid when they ask me, were you a virgin when you got married? Now, that was real easy for me. The first time I ever had sex in my life was July the 15th, 1978 in Austin, Texas at the Hilton Hotel at 1130 at night in room 1158. And the reason I remember it so well, it was my wedding night. My wife and I both were virgins. We didn't know what we were doing, but it sure was fun. <laughs> so when I stood up before six million kids, I wasn't telling them, well, I wish I'd done that. Well, no, I was a man-hoe, man. But I made better choices. No, I got to tell them I lived it. I did it. I can tell you how to do it. But see, parents, when they hear me say that, they're like, well, that's not my story. Well, how do you practice humility and honesty when you've got a past? Are you ready to take a note or two? I'm about to help you. Because when your kids come to you and ask you these tough questions about drugs, alcohol, sex, rebellion, and about your teenage years. Here you go. You ready? You ready to write it down? You do not need the Jerry Springer show in your living room. There's no sense going through, well, I lost my virginity on Farm to Market Road 1302 at 2 a.m. in the back of Billy Bob's pickup. Your kid doesn't need to know that. Forget the details Talk about the consequences, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial. Talk about what it costs you. Don't, don't wave your hand. Don't say anything, but I, know, I can see your faces. I'm helping some of you. Practice humility. Admit your failures. And your kid will listen to you if you're honest. If you're like, no, I'm the perfect parent. You, bless God, you do what I say. That's what God's word says. No, practice some humility and be honest and open. 
and say, I had to ask God to forgive me. And I had to ask God to heal me. I had to ask God to help me get past this. And he did. He did. And learn who they are. Learn. I'm going to show you a slide here that breaks down the generations. Maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you haven't. Look at this. It goes right through from the silent generation all the way born back in the 1928, all the way up to Gen Alpha, the new one, born after 2013. It talks about the big issues going on in their life. It breaks it down. Take a picture of it if you want to, and you can study it, and you can look at all of those things. I'm in the baby boomer generation. I was born in 1958, and you look at all the things that we went through there, but I want to tell you something. I want you to look at specifically, let's just do this little exercise. Are y'all okay? Am I, am I boring anybody? No. Okay, look at, look, at, look at Gen Z for just a second. If you were born, if you're in this room and you were born from 1997 to 2012, somewhere in that time frame, 1997 to 2012, would you stand up? It's good, good, good. Some of you are having to figure out, when was I born? Looking at your parents. No, I'm just kidding. Let me, let me, let me give you some facts about these people standing here. And, and y'all can acknowledge these facts. Just stay standing. I'm not going to have you come up or do anything weird. This is the most, this is what sociologists say about these people standing up right now. They are the most accepting, kind and accepting generation that's ever lived. They open arms. That's who Gen Z is. They are the most diverse generation that's ever lived. Diversity is their motto. We love everybody. This group of people that is standing, they've never lived a day without the internet. Not one. But you know what? Whether you acknowledge it or not in your mind right now, you're going to I don't know. I, th I think you'll resonate with this next thought. You've never quite felt safe and secure because of 9-11, because of random shootings, because of divorce, because of COVID, because of actual school shootings and violence in schools. There's an element of insecurity that is in your bubble. Give them a hand. Let them have a seat. So when I say, when we go back to the previous slide, and I, we're talking about how to disciple a generation raised in Babylon, discipleship starts at home, and in the home, we've got to be humble, and we've got to learn who they are. We've still got to lead them. We've still got to guide them. We've still got to guard them. We've still got to govern them. God, guard, and govern. That's your job, parents. But be humble about it and figure out what's going on in their brain. I go back to what I said earlier. Ask questions that require a sentence response. And you will learn who your child is. That's a skill that's developed, mom and dad. It does not come normal. How was your day? Oh, uh, okay. And you're like... Why don't you talk to me? Because mother, you will not ask me a question that requires a sentence response. You've got to do some homework, mom, dad. You've got to do some thinking of how I'm going to get inside their head with the right kind of question. What was the worst thing that happened to you at school today? They're going to look at you like you're from Mars. <laughs> What do you care about my day? I'm your parent. That's what you're saying. Amen? Here's the third thing. Show them 
how to think, not what to think. Classic illustration. I love the fact that this group of young guys was up here leading worship. And I can't, I'm not a mind reader, but if there's a young person in here, you, when you see people around your age leading adults, you get kind of excited that that could be me someday. I, that could be potentially be my role someday. I like music. I like that. But you know what? For you to come to that place, you've got to, these guys, what I, I know what every one of these guys know, they don't know, they don't listen to the pastor just say, lift your hands and worship. They know why we worship. Parents, we get hung up on telling our kid, quit talking during church. Why don't you clap your hands? Why don't you lift your hands? Get off your phone during church. Worship, worship, worship. Well, what are you doing in church, mom? Do you have your hands up? Are you clapping your hands? Are you sitting there like a bump on a pickle? (laughs) Y'all know what a bump on a pickle does, right? Nothing. I got to make you laugh or I'll make you cry. (laughs) Or you get mad at me, one or the other. Teach your kids how to think critically. When they... Ask why. Don't be, if you don't know the answer why, say, listen, I don't have the answer to that question, but I'm going to find it. Be honest. What is critical thinking? Now, this is not the University of Illinois' definition of critical thinking. I know that in institutions of higher learning, they've got these huge definitions of how to think critically. This is Pastor Ed's little bitty musings of what it means to think critically. This is what I do with my leadership team. We think critically, okay? Are you ready for this? You ready? I I, want to help you with how to think critically. Analysis. Teach your child how to analyze the problem. What is the problem? Analysis. This is what's happening. Secondly, critical thinking means you have a positive spirit about it that there is an available solution. We will find an answer to what we've analyzed. And number three, critical thinking involves be a problem solver, solutions oriented. Teach your child to analyze it, have a positive spirit, and say we will find an answer. Instead of, oh my God, this is what's happening, what are we going to do? We're going to think critically. We're going to analyze the problem. We're going to have a positive spirit about it. And we're going to find an answer. We do that. And and as a church team, we do it every single solitary week. There's some drama that's going on in church work. (laughs) Every single week, week to week. And we analyze it. We have a positive spirit about it. And we come up with a solution. And if that solution doesn't work, we go back to the drawing board next week. But what about, you know, parents? Don't panic. Number four. Or wait, 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 wait. Before we move on, I want you to see these two websites. Now, Alan has been my friend all weekend. He has helped me tremendously. And so I sprung something on him this morning. And you need to take a picture of that slide or write it down. Alan helped me import into my PowerPoint this morning the homepage of these two websites. Now, I'm telling you, most of you have never seen any of these websites. But when you see these homepages, you're going to want to go home and you're going to want to dive in, especially if you've got kids. So show us access.org. Access.org is there to help you dive in to the Bible and to Jesus and get connected with your student together. This is for this provides tools and activities for you to for you as a parent especially, but for you, some of the tools and activities on this website you can do with your students. 
Amen? And the next one, Bible, feed.bible, every engaging Gen Z and connecting Bible truths. Now, this one helps you deal with all the new problems. Remember, all, remember I said there's old problems and new problems? This site will help you deal with the new problems that I talked about, LGBTQ, gender issues, AI, suicide. This gives you Bible truths to combat all the new stuff and the old stuff. It does both. So if you're a grandparent and you need some help too, Man, you need to take that stuff down. So I'm not just trying to inspire you. I hope I am inspiring you. But I also want to give you tools that when I pack up my suitcase and get on that airplane tomorrow morning and go home to my sweet wife and my church, that you've got some stuff in your hands that'll make you better. Amen? Okay, number four. Shift church from corporate to connection. I'm assuming that's what circles is. Small groups, y'all call them circles. We call them growth groups. Gen Z, even going back to the millennials. Millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha, they're all about connection. Corporate church is great. I'm glad we're here. It's easier to worship and easier to pray when we're together, amen? But real disciples, how do you disciple a a generation raised in Babylon? They need small group connection. They need a place that that is safe for them to ask questions. (laughs) I've got an elderly lady that attends Generations Church. Next to Generations Church, our church is on a major street in our city, is a nursing home. And she called the church and said, could I come to your church? And she's, she's epileptic. She's, she's not, she has seizures. And, but her mind's there. She's, every, everything's great. And her name is Lydia. And when Lydia first started coming, she would have a question during the middle of my sermon and she would just raise her hand and blurt it out. <laughs> we had to train her. And now she, when church is over, she comes right straight. Because I tell people when church is over, I'll be right here to pray with you, do anything, whatever you need. Pastor Ed's going to be right here. Well, she waits in line because she's got real questions because she's a brand new Christian. She got saved when she came to church. And, and so it's, we need smaller venues for people to ask questions. Now, I'm not putting down what Pastor, the vision of Thrive Church, that I'm just telling you what we do. We do sermon-based small groups. So in the bulletin, we have a piece of paper every week, I provide a talk sheet, that's what we call it, for every growth group. And all of the growth group leaders take that talk sheet, and if they're, we've got one growth group that meets Monday night, they got to jump on it. And they go take this, what I've preached and they dissect it. They, there's a question down at the bottom. Discuss other scriptures that come to your mind about this topic. That's on every single talk sheet. And I mean, it is amazing what's going on in these just discipleship groups for adults in all ages. But I've jacked that graphic from Google, face-to-face, cut and paste. (laughs) But Gen Z, Gen Alpha, millennials, even most of you, you would rather have a face-to-face connection than listen to this. This is just celebration and inspiration, and you need a place to, to grow in all of that. And so, discipleship starts at home. Be humble. Teach them how to think, not what to think. And number four, get connection in their lives. And if we can do those things, we can be intentional about these things. We can respond to the removal. You say, well, what do you mean removal? Some kids have been removed for what I talked about at the beginning. Divorce, families move, 
If you get transferred, your child gets moved from one community to the next, that's tough. It's an aspect of a mobile culture. Daniel got removed, he got retrained, he got renamed, but we've got to get a resolve into our kids' lives. Amen? I'm getting ready to land the plane. You can stop taking notes or whatever. I want you to see um, Psalms 145 and verse 4 again. This, my church is named Generations Church. That is our church verse right there. We quote it, we talk about it, it's in print, it's everywhere. But when I started this Plugged In series, I wanted to get Generations Church to be mentally, emotionally, physically plugged in to the generations. Be aware of it. And I didn't discuss this with Pastor Brian. He asked me, he said, what are you going to preach on when you get here? I said, well, this is what I'm feeling. Is this okay? He said, no, I want you to preach something else. No, he didn't. (laughs) He said, yeah, that's great. So no matter what your station in life is, let's, let's collectively as a group of people, let's plug into our young people. You know what would be really cool? You don't have kids. Maybe you're an older generation. You're you're one of those, I had those circles up there, and you're not a parent, you're a grandparent, you don't have any kids at home, but what if you started walking up at church and talking to these young people that are here and started asking them some serious questions? Questions that require a sentence response. You say, well, I'm not their parent, why do I do that? Because we're going to be intentional about reaching the generations. Because when you ask those kinds of questions, if, if I asked, if I took this gentleman right here, what's your first name? Jeff. Jeff. If Jeff, if I walked up to you and said, hey, what's your first name? Jeff. My name's Ed. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hey, Jeff, uh, could you tell me what you do for a living? Uh, I work in software. Software. Are you a coder or do you just um, put, plug it in, plug and play? What do you do? Plug it in and customize it for people. Plug it in and customize it for people. See, I can ask him questions. I don't know anything. He's way over my head already. Okay, but I can ask him questions to get him talking about himself and it makes him feel important. And so if we could collectively all across the room engage the generations and then they think, oh, well, church isn't all that boring. Those people care about me. Every one of us have been somewhere where you knew they didn't care whether you were there or not. But when we collectively start doing this stuff, these young people, Gen Z, they start, hey, they care about me there. They wanted to know, you know, I can ask you, that beautiful red hair, my wife's got hair just like that. People pay for hair like that and they never attain it. (laughs) They never get there, do they? Well, engaging her in conversation like that, hopefully she doesn't think I'm weird trying to hit on her or something. (laughs) I'm a pervert old man or something. But hopefully she just thinks I'm being friendly at church. But our young people are sick of church the way it's been. That's the pastor's job. I'm saying it with a smile. Shut up and don't say that. It's all of our jobs. Amen? So would you stand up on your feet with me? Here's my resolve. I'll say it one more time. Let's all say it together. My resolve, we must reach a generation. Here we go. One, two, three. We must reach a generation at 12 before we have to rescue them at 21. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10.
Yeah.